podcast, we have my new friend, uh, Matt Harmon, and he's written a great book dealing with this fancy word called hermeneutics. And some of you listening to this podcast might not even know what that is, but basically it's just the science or the study of uh, how to interpret something, a text. And um, that really hits home for us as Christians in that we want to be faithful in terms of how we handle God's word. And so Matt's written a a really, really good book um, called Asking the Right Questions. And then the subtitle is A Practical Guide to Understanding and Applying the Bible. So Matt, thanks so much for coming uh, to the Vine Conversations podcast today. Yeah, so... um, Man, when I think about my daily job description, a large majority of it is kind of dedicated to taking a text and seeking to understand what it means and applying it to our people. So, you know, what we're going to talk about today really hits home for me personally. And I'm just really excited for you to, to just help us understand how to do this better. But maybe a good starting place would just be simply this, like, um, when it comes to seeking to interpret God's word correctly, I know there's a thousand different things we could say, right? And and you you have your PhD in these things, um, and so the the water gets real di- deep real quick when I'm sure it comes to to your your head and how you think about these things. And but for an audience that maybe is just you know brand new to, to handling the word rightly. Are there some key pillars that you would recommend? Maybe, maybe it's just a new believer. Uh, some key pillars that you think are just foundational for anybody wanting to um, handle the word appropriately. Is that is that too uh, obtuse of a question or, is, or can we start <laughs> well, there? There's obviously a lot of ways we can go with that kind of question, so uh, I'll take it. Uh, I'll take a few shots at it, and yeah. if you want to go a different direction, we can we can explore that. But Great. I think that one of the most important things that I would want to stress with uh, believers, and in particular new believers, is is the fact that uh, God gave us the Bible, and He gave it to all Christians. Yeah. Not just people with PhDs, not just pastors, not just ministry leaders, but he gave us the Bible so that all of his people could experience it, could understand it and apply it to their lives. And so I think that one of the dangers when you talk about this whole area of of understanding and applying the Bible is that people who have studied extensively this whole area can sometimes make it way more complicated than it needs to be. <laughs> mm, sure. And uh, there, there's obviously a place for deep, detailed, uh, high level kind of academic engagement with scripture. There's absolutely right. a place for that. Right. But at the same time, I think that there are, are some very basic and fundamental uh, approaches to understanding and applying the Bible that can be used by literally anybody, any believer, whether it's a young believer or an old believer, even where, whether it's a, a younger child or an older adult, that I believe that the Bible itself points us in the right direction when it comes to giving us some guidelines on how to read it. And so that was really a major um, reason for writing this book is that 
as I was teaching in the classroom as, a, as both a seminary professor, as a, as a college professor with undergraduates, as well as teaching in the, um, in the local church, I kept encountering a desire for pe that, pe that people had to understand and apply the Bible, but with a corresponding frustration of not knowing where to start or what to do or how to do it. And so believers that I was constantly interacting with were living with this constant state of frustration and guilt that realized I want to and I should be in the Bible, but I'm not sure how to start or where to begin. And so I don't even know what I'm doing. Yes. Yeah. So where, so I guess that's probably why you wrote the book is just to address that question, right? So we could just say, hey, grab, <laughs> grab Mark's book and, <laughs> and a podcast. But uh, I mean, but that's really the short answer, right? You wrote that book just to address it is. that question. Yeah. And so in, in the book, what I try to do, I mean, obviously the title of the book, Asking the Right Questions, the heart of the book ends up being four basic questions that you can ask to understand the heart behind any passage, and yep. then four basic questions you can ask to apply it to your life. Yes. But the book is more than just those two chapters. Right. <laughs> because right. What, what I want to help people understand is the larger uh, framework in which we approach the Bible. So the, the starting point is trying to have a basic understanding of the larger story of the Bible that runs from Genesis to Revelation. Yes. And I find that many of us, when we've grown up in church contexts, we, we often have these bits and pieces of, of, of stories from the Bible. But oftentimes, believers lack that overarching understanding of the story that runs from Genesis to Revelation. So one of the analogies that I like to use is uh, that of a television series. So when you watch it, many television series. I was a, I was a fan of Lost back in the day. That was oh, one of my yeah. favorite TV oh, shows. Oh yeah. Yep. We, and, we watched um, Lost when we had to pay for individual episodes on iTunes. Oh, wow. So that's, you are committed. To yeah. I mean, this is pre-streaming. <laughs> we were all in with uh -huh. that, but yeah. So Lost, great. Yeah. So, um, and even if you haven't seen the series, I, you'll understand the illustration here, but Lost is a good example of it's a series that has an overarching story that runs from beginning to end, and it develops over the course of the several seasons. Yeah. But if you don't know that larger story, even as you're watching it unfold, and you just drop into an episode, say, in the middle of season three, right. about seven episodes in, and you watch an episode, you are going to, at best, you can probably understand the basic uh plot of that individual episode at right. some level, but you're not going to know the significance, the larger significance of who the characters are, how they relate to one another, and how those individual events fit into the larger storyline of the television series. Yes. And especially with a series like Lost. <laughs> yes. You're going to be lost. <laughs> Indeed. And so I, I think that if we, if we, approach the Bible almost like a television series mm -hmm. and have that general sense of the storyline from Genesis to Revelation. And then anytime we drop into an individual portion of scripture, say we're in Leviticus or say we're in Hosea or yep. in Philippians, having a general sense of, okay, 
So I'm in season, you know, the equivalent of like season two here. So these big things have already happened, but this big thing hasn't happened yet, but we're building up momentum towards it. I love it. Really it. helps you establish a better, um, a better framework for understanding uh, any individual passage you're reading. So, man, Matt, you are speaking my language. Like, I love what you just said. And let me share a little bit of my personal testimony. Um, and then we can talk more about this because I think this is absolutely vital for our discipleship yeah. and handling God's word appropriately. Um, I was raised in Lutheran church. You know, I'm as I, what I always say is I'm as Christian culture as it gets, meaning church every Sunday, the, the, the classic kind of youth group kid in the, in the nineties, late eighties, nineties, all the youth group activities went to like the, you know, every, you know, Bible camp retreat, summer, fall, spring retreats, you know, Christian music festivals. Like I am Christian culture, like all the like stereotypes and jokes we can make about Christian culture and those videos you can watch on, on YouTube. <laughs> I, I relate to all of them, but I re I recognize that like I was raised in a church that preached the gospel, like repentance and faith. It was a Lutheran church. So it was somewhat unique in that sense of like, you have to turn and believe in Jesus and, and, um, and trust Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And, 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 you know, that uh, very much, um, that kind of emphasis, but not strong on the Bible or expositional preaching, mm -hmm. uh, or even the storyline of scripture. You know, I was never taught that at least, or maybe I wasn't paying attention. I don't think I was taught that like in confirmation class. Yeah. And I thought, you know, the Bible was like, just what you said, like, there's some good stuff in here to help me figure out my life. And I would, you know, maybe memorize some Bible verses that I really felt like meant a lot to me. You know, I, I couldn't tell you anything about how Isaiah relates to Matthew. Yeah. Um, and I went to seminary cause I felt like I, you know, I had a deep desire to be a pastor and a New Testament course, the first assignment was you have to memorize and see how the whole Bible fits together. And it just blew my mind. Hmm. Like, how come no one ever told me this before? I've been a Christian for 30 years and, and my mind is just blown because all of a sudden it makes sense. Yeah. And, and what I really experienced was this, Matt, is before I realized that I, had, I was focused on my story and trying to figure out how the Bible fits into the Zach Nielsen story, as opposed mm -hmm. to when I saw the storyline of scripture, seeing, oh, what Christianity really is, is me trying to figure out God's story. And then when I figure out what God's story is, then that makes my life make sense. And I yeah. see where I fit into that. And it was just like this profound sense of orientation and yes. kind of a settledness on, okay, I have, I have a deeper sense of calling for my life now. I see where I fit. It's not about me. It's about God. And that's one of the things that we try to teach here at the vine is like, you know, the Bible is ultimately about God, not about you. And when you get that, you're going to have a profound sense of adventure and purpose and joy and freedom. Um, so I don't want to preach that sermon right now, but I'd just love to hear you talk about that as well. Cause I think that's what you're getting at in this first chapter. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, I'll take this in 
in in a even a, in a cultural direction. You know, if you think about the fact that the the issue of identity is one of the defining issues of our current cultural climate. Who or what defines our identity? Do yes. we get to choose our own identity? Right. Or is it determined for us by someone or something else? And um, to me, that's one of the places, as you mentioned, even where the biblical story comes along and says, yes, you have an identity. Amen. God has determined your identity. And that identity is rooted in you being an image bearer, a reflector of God's character and his purposes. And it's also rooted in the fact that you're a sinner and you're and you're a flawed human being and you need God's uh, saving grace to transform you. Yes. And so I think that, you know, our culture is so desperate to try to create its own identity and that's just exhausting. Yeah. It's absolutely exhausting. And it's a weight that God never intended us as human beings to carry. Yes. And there's such a freedom that comes from embracing our God-given identity, and that's rooted in this story that yes. runs from Genesis to Revelation. And when you get the story, it's much easier to understand then, okay, how does my life fit into this reality? Yeah. What what ways has God wired me to contribute to the unfolding plan that he has working out in this world to make his glory known to the ends of the earth? Amen. So Matt, could you tease that out for someone who maybe is like, okay, Matt, um, that sounds good, but just give me some more detail. Like, can you, can you connect the dots for me a little bit? Cause I live in Madison in 2021 and I am, um, a new believer, like help me, help me, help me some more with that. So when you, when you understand that God is the one who is working throughout all of human history, that he's made us as his image bearers, which means that we, uh, again, reflect his character. We uh, are, are are set apart to advance his purposes and uh, that we have that incredible privilege that God has made us that way. Mm -hmm. I, I think that what that does is it helps me, it gives me that framework for understanding, okay, so... Um, you know, you're obviously very close to a, a major research institution there in Madison, you know, University right. of Wisconsin, yes. uh, an elite university. Mm -hmm. And you've got, uh, you know, college students and people that are part of the community. And there, you know, especially in college, you find students are, that that's one of the crucibles of, of, of shaping a person's direction in life. Right. And so... I think when you help people understand that God has this larger purpose in life and that he has wired you with some specific gifts and abilities to contribute to that purpose, mm -hmm. it frees us. It, it just becomes so much more freeing that we don't have to exhaust ourselves by trying to make ourselves out to be something we're not or somebody we're not. Yeah. And it also sets a context for how we relate to other human beings, that it gives us the the freedom to not try to impress people, not try to uh, puff ourselves up because our identity is secure. Amen. It's established by God. We don't have to enhance it or um, make ourselves something that we're not. Yeah. Amen. That's so helpful. I think about it too, again, with my story where the light really clicked for me was once I saw the storyline of scripture, like for example, like creation, 
-hmm. And then creation leads to the sin and the fall. And then God has a plan to deal with that. Well, what's that? Well, it's, it's this guy named Abraham. Well, who's Abraham? Well, Abraham's this guy and God made a bunch of promises to him. And one of them was having kids. And then he has Isaac and then he has Jacob and Jacob has 12 sons. And then they end up in Egypt and in Egypt, God rescues them. And then they leave Egypt. I mean, I'm going really, really fast here. Right. But like Egypt, uh, God rescues them and he, he makes them into this nation and that nation has a purpose. Well, they fail. And so then Jesus comes and he succeeds where they fail. And then he has some disciples and he leaves and he sends his Holy Spirit and they plant churches and all that, you know, that's like a 30 second summary of basically Genesis to Acts um, with a lot left out. Yeah. But I place myself now post Acts, right? Like, and that, that's a point of orientation for me. I'm not a, I'm not an Israel and I'm not like, um, I'm not, I live after Jesus. I live after the giving of the Holy Spirit, but I live before Jesus's second coming. And it's like, I knew those things were true before, yeah. but I couldn't really articulate it. And, yeah. and when you see that teased out through scripture, just me knowing, okay, I'm part of this thing that is the giving of the Holy Spirit. When the church is global, every tribe, tongue, and nation, and my job is to make disciples with power of the Holy Spirit and, and the word of God teaching them to obey, obey all I've commanded. It's like, all right, I get that. I see, I see yeah. where I fit. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In, in the, in the book, I, I, I organize each of those kind of phases, if you want to call them out or chapters or even seasons of the, of the series, yes. if you want along C uh, words. So you've got creation, yep. you've got crisis, the, you know, Adam and Eve's rebellion, you've got, covenants. So all throughout the Old Testament, God makes this series of promises, these covenants that he's made. They lead up to the person of Christ. I love it. Death and resurrection accomplishes our redemption. And then uh, the, the next C is church, that we are in this phase of the story where God is, is building his church. He's getting the good news to the ends of the earth through his spirit-empowered uh, people. And knowing the last stage, the last phase, consummation. Yeah. the new heavens, the new earth, that it's, it is a great source of comfort that we know the end of the story. We know how it all ends. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't necessarily know that all the minute details of the things leading up to the immediate end, but we know the very end. We know what the very last pages of the story are going to be. Yeah. And that helps us orient our life in the present so that we're living for the things that will matter Yep. In the uh, in that last consummation, the new creation, where uh, every last stain of sin is gone, we're living with these resurrected bodies. We're in the direct presence of Jesus. Yeah. And no more frustrations of this fallen world. And we get the privilege of inviting people, of calling people, to turn from their sin and to trust in Jesus to be able to enjoy that with us. Yeah. Amen. Um, a lot to say there. One of the things I'd, I'd love to say is just like, it's important to note there that the Christian worldview is not cyclical. Like we yeah. don't believe in reincarnation. We It's linear. And, yes. and we're part of a story as God has revealed it to us uh, that is linear going from beginning to end. Um, and then we enter into eternity 
where who knows how time works in eternity, right? <laughs> That's right. I'm, I'm not I'm not smart enough to to flesh that all out. Me either. But um, <laughs> but yeah, the way that we've taught that in the past, um, Matt is I think about the four P's and tracing the four P's through the whole of the Bible. So people, presence, place, proactive mission. I said them in the wrong order. People, place, presence, proactive mission. So God always has a people, always in his place, with his presence, on a proactive mission. And you can trace those four categories from Genesis to Revelation. That just helps me kind of have my point of orientation. Your method of the seas, I've never heard that before, but I love it. I love it. Well, we're, we're very much on the same page here because actually in a in a different book that I, that I wrote, I use the first three of those P's that you mentioned to trace the theme of uh, sin and exile Mm -hmm, of how, mm -hmm. um, you know, that God has a people, he puts them in a place. He, his presence is with them. And then um, obviously sin enters the world and disrupts all of that. And so you can tell the biblical story along those lines of God's plan to, restore uh, his people into a place where his presence is with them. And so um, it's encouraging to hear you uh, to use that similar terminology there. Yeah. It's like creation, judgment, uh, creation, sin, judgment, recreation. Yeah. And that, that, and I, we're getting too technical here, but anyway, um, (laughs) uh, yeah. So here, here's my question for us, Matt, I'd love to hear your counsel, your advice. Um, I would love for every member of our church to be able to articulate the storyline of the Bible. I think it's so, for the reasons we've already articulated, so valuable. Um, How do we do that? I mean, just should I buy 250 copies of your book and just hand them out to everybody and say, read this? I mean, that would be one. Honestly, that would be a great idea, I think, um, because it dives into hermeneutics uh, in more detail as well. Um, But... Have you seen this done well at a local church level where just a big group of people knows the storyline of scripture? Like, how do we do that? Yeah, I think that it, it can be wise for a, a, a church, a pastoral team, a, a leadership team, if they want to accomplish something like that, to settle on a, an agreed upon framework for talking about the biblical storyline. Um, whether you use the the C's that I that I proposed or the the four P's that you're talking about, um, I think that if you can create if you can just choose or create or adapt a a simple rubric that you can constantly keep coming back to in preaching, in teaching, in conversation, um, and probably what you might end up having to do is do a sort of maybe a preaching, a short preaching series on each of the P's or each of the C's so that you give people that, that, that 50,000 foot flyover level of the Bible. Yeah. And then you just kind of keep coming back to that, you know, okay. Even as you're dipping into a passage in, in whatever part of the Bible to be able to say, okay, so this is where we're at. We're in, we're in the section where God's making these covenants Yep. and we've seen this one already and this one's still coming creating that kind of shared framework uh, would, I think, really serve a congregation well, because it's also giving them uh, a shared language for them to use. Sure. And even, and, and, and to constantly be referring back to in their own 
uh, personal reading and study as well. Yeah. So like what you're talking about is just having words, words create culture and agreed upon words that leaders just kind of know and, um, and we kind of saturate our culture with a certain way of speaking about it. Um, yeah. yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Uh, I appreciate that, Matt. So let's get into the nitty gritty though of your book. Um, sure. let me, I'm going to grab my Bible real quick. Just a second. Yeah. So let's pretend that, um, can I put you on the spot and just sure, try not? to put your, um, put your principles to work here? And so let's say, I'm, I'm not thinking ahead of this at all. Let's just grab something from the book of Matthew um, and our topic in our small group, and you're my small group leader, and I'm the member of your small group, okay? Okay. And we're just going to look at um, Matthew 12, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, uh, one through eight, okay? Okay. So using your framework that you advocate in your book, let's just let's just walk through this. Could we do that? I'm just curious. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm improvising here. I, I didn't think about this in advance, <laughs> but I think it'd be a really fun experience to yeah. to tease out your book um, and show how it's really valuable to help us understand scripture. Absolutely. Um, so where do we start with this text? Yeah. So. Um... Obviously, in light of what we've just been talking about, it's helpful to orient ourselves in the larger storyline of the Bible. So we're in a gospel account. So you have Jesus is on the scene, yep, but he has obviously not yet uh, gone to the cross, not died, been raised from the dead, or ascended to, uh, to heaven. So uh, the king is here, the promised king that's going to uh, obey where... Israel and and Adam and all of humanity before us had had failed. failed yep. And so uh, he's here, but there's still mystery in terms of what's this going to look like, how's this going to work itself out, and even mystery as to his true identity of what what he's going to be like. So we're we're definitely in that window of Christ's life and ministry here. Yeah. So let's just, of, let me just pause and underscore yeah. what what you're doing here, just so everyone is clear. What Matt is doing is making sure when we're looking at this, we know where we are in the storyline. And um, that's like maybe principle number one right out of the gate is we have to know where we are in the storyline, right? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, with, with that sort of foundation in place, um, I, I think that the, the, next, the next place that I would go is... Um, just kind of working through the four understanding questions that I've proposed in my book. And so uh, I'll need to take just a slight detour to set these up Great. out of our, out of our passage here in Matthew 12, because um, the, the four questions I think are rooted in what the Bible itself suggests is the heart of what scripture is designed for. So actually, if you jump ahead to Matthew 22, it's mm -hmm. the passage where Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? Right. And he says, essentially, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Yep. And he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's often where we kind of maybe stop or go, wow, that's really profound. That's helpful. That's impressive. But he, he also adds, if you continue on in that passage... He adds, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. 
And so if you stop to think about that for a minute, when, when, when Jesus refers to the law and the prophets, he's talking about the entirety of, of, of the Old Testament. Right. So what he is saying is every passage of Scripture is in some way oriented to help you love God and love others. That's so helpful. So I think that, that what that tells me is I can ask those kinds of questions of any passage with the confidence that God has designed and inspired that passage to help me answer the questions of, um, and here are the four, Yep. what do we learn about God? Yep. So number and, one, what do we learn about God? Yep. And just to, to piggyback on something you said earlier, we start with that one because God is the central character of the Bible. Right. It's about him first and foremost. Amen. So that's why we start with that one. Yeah, what do we so learn about one, God? Yep. What do we learn about God? Number two, what do we learn about people? Okay. So this is trying trying to pick up the um, you know, the idea of loving your neighbor. Yep. Okay. So what do we learn about God? What do we learn about people? Yep. Number three is what do we learn about relating to God? Because it's not just information about God, but ultimately how does God call us to interact with him? How should we respond to him? Yeah. And then number four is, what do we learn about relating to other people? So there's awesome. your four right there that I believe, based on Matthew 22, that every passage in the Bible is designed to help us answer those questions. Yes. So we would start with those, and and you would say, like, if we just start with those four questions, um, then that's just going to be a really safe place to land in light of what God has already communicated about his will for us from Matthew 22. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, can we practice it? There there are other things that you can ask of a biblical text. I'm not saying you should only ask these questions. Right. But these questions, based on being rooted in that Matthew 22 passage, I think give you the confidence to know it doesn't matter where I'm at in Scripture. If I ask these questions, God has something to show me and reveal to me that is consistent with why he gave me the Bible in the first place. Amen. And let me just review. Number one, what do we learn about God? Number two, what do we learn about people? Number three, what do we learn about relating to God? And number four, what do we learn about relating to others? So it's God, people, God, people. And I wonder, Matt, if we could, um, can we just practice these with this text? Let's do it. Cool. Let me just read the text, and then uh, I'll hand it over to you. Uh, This is Matthew 12, 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the, the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice you would not have condemned the guiltless for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Here ends the reading of God's word. Now, 
yeah. there's a lot there. There is. There's a lot there to unpack. Um, but yeah, so help us here, Dr. Harmon. <laughs> so, you know, when you look at this passage, um, you know, if we start with our first question of what do we learn about God, you know, there's a there's there's several different places we can we can land on here. Uh, one one thing that stands out is that uh, the, this last even how the passage ends, right? So yeah. Jesus says, "The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath," and so you know, if we think about what that tells us about God and His authority, it's what is of ultimate authority is God Himself. Yeah. And that he is the one who not only has authority, but I think there's there's notes of God's compassion here as well. I mean, the context is of his disciples are hungry and they're in need, so to speak. And and Jesus, as the as the Son of Man, is saying, My authority extends over the the letter of the law here, and that their sustenance, their their ongoing um, life is more important to me yes. than a very rigid, um, over-the-top interpretation of a of a law. Right. Yes. So I, I would start there, and then you have that that remarkable statement of something greater than the temple is here. Yeah. And again, I, some of this depends on. A little bit of your your sort of broader biblical knowledge here, but you know when you stop to think about what was it that made the temple special, it was that God's presence was there. Yeah, and so the I think what Jesus is saying is that there is an even more profound manifestation of God's presence right in front of you mm-hmm. than that temple that you're so fond of. Yes, Amen. So those are some things that immediately stand out to me. Uh, I don't know what what else you might have caught on that first question. Um, well, what do we learn about God? Um, yeah. I would say maybe the repetition where Jesus is quoting the Old Testament to them. Have you not mm-hmm. read? Have you not read? And Jesus seems to be saying that God's word is authoritative. Um, like when he speaks... We should be listening and seeking to understand. And it sounds like he's helping the Pharisees see that they don't really understand um, God's word. So um, what do we learn about God? We learn that, um, well, Jesus is displaying that God loves his word and he, and um, he wants us to know it. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Yeah. I think the, the, I mean, I'm, I haven't, thought about this so you know we have to give grace to each other in the in, sure. the, in the spontaneity here um but just um jesus is god and so we learn mm-hmm. that god has authority jesus has authority as god when he says that he is lord of the sabbath yeah and so i, I i've always read this text as as um jesus just basically laying the trump card down like <laughs> it's kind of a, it's kind of aggressive like if you think yeah. about the preciousness of the Sabbath to the Pharisees at that time. Um, but we learn that he's the one in authority and I'm not. Yes. And I think that, and I think that's tied to even Jesus referring to himself as the son of man. Yeah. Because if you, if you understand that, that, that title that Jesus loved to use of himself is rooted in Daniel seven. 
right. which portrays this son of man figure as approaching the throne of God and receiving a kingdom that extends over every tribe and every tongue and every nation, that he has unrivaled power and authority over all creation. Yeah, and eternal. So, yes. And so that that language of even son of man evokes some of that authority to uh to to say what he says. Yeah. Amen. So number two, uh what do we learn about people from this text? Yeah, so there's a there, there's a lot here as well. Um, I think that you know if we if, if we look in particular at the uh, complaint of the Pharisees and know a little bit about what they're what they're doing here, what we part of what we learn about people is that we as human beings are capable of twisting a good gift of God into something that is oppressive mm. and burdensome. Well said. Because they're, they're taking, in essence, they're starting with, well, the Sabbath is really important. That's true. Yeah, God true statement. That. You're not lying. Yep. <laughs> but when you understand all of the additional sort of layers of rules and regulations they put on top of that, right. it becomes this burdensome thing rather than this good gift. Yeah. So we are infinitely capable as human beings of taking a good gift and twisting it, even with good intentions. Right. So there's something to be said for um, maybe being a little suspicious of myself um, yes. before I'm quick to bring a an application uh, from a principle that, you know, maybe, you know, because that's kind of what these guys were doing, right? They were taking the principle and they're they extrapolating from that all these different applications of that, that Jesus is saying, no, wrong application. Yeah. Um, and so... Man, maybe I should be suspicious of myself in terms of my direct preferences or application of what God has revealed. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that um, you know another uh, another thing that you that you see out of this is um, the, this idea that um, you know this is sometimes these interlap with, with each other in terms of the questions, but yep. um, this idea of it is, you know, the disciples really aren't, they're, they're not rebuked for being hungry. That's just a natural thing. Like, yep. like, like we have na we have natural desires. God wired us with certain desires that are part of who we are. Yeah. And the problem is not necessarily, is usually not the desire itself. It's the means we seek to fulfill the desire yep. that often becomes the problem there. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you, uh, I, I enjoy reading some Jonathan Edwards from time to time, and he, he loved to use the analogy of fire, that fire is a good thing in a house. Right. If it's in the fireplace. Amen. If it's there, it provides light, it provides heat. You can cook by it. It provides warmth for the entire home. It does a lot of good things if it's kept in the right spot. Right. But if it escapes that fireplace, it, it destroys the whole structure. Right. And that's that's a picture to me of even some of these desires that are here of, you know, hunger's not inherently sinful. Right. But of course, if distorted or twisted, any good natural desire can become a snare to us. Right. Right. Amen. So... There's a lot we can learn here about people. 
Uh, let's continue. Number three, what do we learn about relating to God? Yeah, the first thing I saw is, and I obviously want to hear what you say, but the first thing I saw was, um, you know, like if, if the son of man, in light of all you said, Daniel chapter seven, uh, if Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, then what that means is I'm not. Um, I'm not uh, in a position of authority to, um, to yeah, just to, he's in a position of ultimate authority to interpret God's word. Um, my interpretation yes. um, may always be suspect. Uh, of course, there's there's good and better interpretations, and that's why you wrote this book, and um, we'll talk more about that, but um, it's good for me to submit to his authority. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think another another thing that comes out of that is that I, I think there's there's an implied uh, there's an implied call to trust in not just the authority of God and in particular of Jesus as the Son of Man, but to embrace it and yes. delight in it. Yes. That it's a good thing. Yes. That that we we live in a cultural moment where any expression of power is immediately viewed as suspicious. Amen. And of course, there are plenty of examples of abuses of power. I'm not yes. denying that at all. Amen. But power in and of itself is not inherently a bad thing. Right. Because God himself has power and authority, and he exercises it for the good of his people. And so uh, to not just begrudgingly submit to God's authority, but to embrace it and delight in it as a good thing. Yeah, amen. And the other one I, I would say in terms of what do we learn about relating to God, man, that statement um, that the Pharisees seem to really just screw up where he says in verse seven, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I mean, like I desire mercy more than just um, the perfection of following the rules. I think that's, you could correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but that's my understanding of when he says the word sacrifice, all the Old Testament r- rules and, and laws and what that means. Mm-hmm. But if I'm interpreting that correctly, I desire mercy uh, and not sacrifice. That's a breath of fresh air for me in how I relate yes. to God, that God's not coming at me with a stick um, to beat me but he's gentle and lowly and he's, um, you know, his burden is, is light. Yeah. And, and so I, that's, that's an, a, that's a, a statement of freedom for me. Uh, if I have a heavy conscience that God's just kind of out to get me or it's obedience or else, um, that's comforting to me. Yes. That, that, um, God's inherent posture towards us is one of wanting to show compassion and, and mercy to us yeah. and that, that we should therefore, I mean, I think there's an implied invitation there then to come to God for that. Amen. Um, you know, I think that uh, part of what he's saying when he quotes that old Testament text there in part is you can go through the motions of a sacrifice. You can perform the outward ritual of a sacrifice and not have the inward heart disposition 
that um, is consistent with that. That's right. But when it comes to compassion and, and mercy, that's an inward disposition of our hearts. And so, um, you know, what, what we see in part there then is that um, I think God wants us to relate to him on the basis of asking for mercy rather than working towards performance. Preach that. <laughs> that's good, Matt. That's that's the gospel, right? It is. It's a, it is. one angle on it, right? Yeah. So number four, what do we learn about relating to others? Yeah, so I, I think we've hit on, I think, the key text there in particular, that quotation from the Old Testament, where Jesus takes a text that they would have been very familiar with as experts in the Old Testament and basically says, um, you are, I expect you to interact with others out of a heart of compassion and mercy yeah. with a bent to showing generosity and kindness Yes, more so than an immediate um, holding someone up to a particular man-made standard. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, our relationships with others should be a reflection of how God relates to us. Yes. And it's really cool how answering question number three naturally led to answering question number four. How do we, how, how do we relate to God? Oh, that, that clues me on how I should probably relate to, to you if you're my brother or, or, or sister, right? Well, Matt, I mean, there it is. That's a, that's a great small group <laughs> discussion right there, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so that's really helpful. Um, I really love that as a, as a framework for how to think about any text. Now, here's my follow-up question. Yeah. You and I have been studying the Bible. You know, you've been doing it more academically than I have. Um, I've been doing it for preaching for many years now. Um, you've been doing it um, for a lot of different ways um, that you could share with us. But I notice in our conversation that we just had that you and I are drawing on some previous knowledge. Sure. Like we know who Pharisees are. We know yeah. some background about who they are. We kind of know the storyline of scripture. Um, we know what Jesus is getting at when he says temple, when he says Sabbath. I'm thinking about this and what we just did through the lens of someone who might not know their Bible very well. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're listening to us talk and they're like, I don't know that stuff. And, <laughs> and so how do we help those people that, um, not that we're the experts, but just maybe don't have as much experience um, and don't have the background knowledge that we have how does someone um, grow in their ability to do um, do what we just did, you know, and like help help someone that's that's feeling that new believer or someone just doesn't sure. know their Bible very well? Yeah, well, I I would want to start with uh, saying to that new believer, the Bible is such a remarkable book in part because no matter how many years you study it no matter how many times you go to a passage, God's spirit is capable of showing you new realities or the same realities in a fresh light yeah. that bring the text alive. And so when I, when I, uh, when I teach my students, I'm currently teaching a, uh, an English Bible class on Philippians uh, for, for undergrads. Gotcha. And so I've written a commentary on, on Philippians and you know spent years 
immersed in the text. And so sometimes students will, will kind of have this vibe about them of like, well, you already know everything about Philippians, Dr. Harmon. So, you know, is this even entertaining? Do you even enjoy this? Like talking right. about this? Like, right. And I try to stress to him, like, look, in the over the course of this semester, you will ask me questions or you will raise observations yourself that will make me think about the text in a fresh way. And I will see things that I probably have not noticed before, mm -hmm. or I'll see them and put them together with another piece of the Bible that I've not put it together with. And so even though I've spent much more time than you have in the text, there is still plenty for me to learn from the biblical text. So I'd want to start with that. So like but, meaning the power of uh, reading the Bible in community. Yes, yes, absolutely. That That is so key. And that's that's one piece of, of the sort of practical answer to, to your question yeah. is that, um, of course, it's valuable and important to read the Bible on our own individually. That's, that's a huge part of the Christian life and very valuable. But you grow in your understanding of scripture and background and all sorts of things by reading the Bible with other people, whether it's part of a small group, whether it's consistently being a part of uh, a member of a local church and hearing the faithful preaching and teaching of God's word. Yep. And there are good resources out there. I think that, you know, we, we live at, a, at an unprecedented time in human history where we have more resources than we even know what to do with sometimes. That's right. When it comes to understanding some of the background and, 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 and other pieces of scripture, and that can be overwhelming. But, you know, I, I still think one of the best tools that a, that a person can have in their sort of personal library is a good study Bible like the ESV study, study Bible. Amen. That, that is a remarkable resource between the study notes and the book introductions and the individual articles and the, the maps and the illustrations and all of that. It is a treasure trove of information that will help you. Yeah. But, but I will say real quickly but, that I still want to encourage people to read the Bible for themselves just with the text in front of them. Mm -hmm. Because there can be a danger if you if you are starting with a study Bible that you the instant you're not sure of something, your eyes just drop right down to the study note or you're you know looking to see if there's any help. And it can sometimes cut off some of that wrestling that gets you to a deeper understanding. Or you might just see things um, that aren't necessarily discussed or mentioned in the study note, but you check the study note and that kind of steers your mind and your thoughts about the text. Yep. So they're great resources, but I still encourage people just start with a, a straightforward text of, of scripture and ask these questions, ask the spirit to help you and then look for help from those other resources as well. Yeah, that's really, really good. I was hoping you would say that because um, I was going to put a plug in for study Bibles as well. Um, you know, all of us are on the journey of understanding scripture and, um, you know, I know at times it can feel daunting or intimidating, but man, it, no one ever arrives. And I love how you said that too, of like, man, there's, there's, there's jewels and, and, and gold here to be earth, uh, unearthed, um, for all of us, you know, and the study Bible can really, really be an aid in that. And so I, I've, 
I've come to really appreciate that in my own reading. And I still learn all the time, you know, um, people might look at me at the church and think I'm the answer guy just because I get paid. I'm not, I'm, I got to put the work in just like anybody else would like, you know, you and I riffed on that text, but there's stuff in there I don't understand. And just like someone who's a new believer would read that text and go, I don't know. I don't know anything about the Sabbath. I don't know anything about the temple. I don't know what Jesus means by son of man. Well, you know, I might not either. And so, um, we, and at we, one point we didn't exactly. Like, but let's just be honest. Like I, I, there, there was a point in our life where we didn't know what those things were, and the only way that we came to know those things was either consistently sitting under the teaching of God's word, or conversation with other believers, or looking at resources. So, you know, it, it's not like either of us were born with this pre-existing knowledge of all these. <laughs> you know, right. um, background pieces or what the temple is or what the Sabbath refers to right. the son of man. It, it took, um, intentional, um, learning on, yep. the, on our parts. Okay. I want to, um, do you have time for just a couple more? Yeah, let's do it. Um, you know, I, I know from, from glancing through your book that these are things that are, are close to your heart in terms of how you teach interpretation or hermeneutics. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are pillars that I really try to, um, drill down or, or lay the footings for and build on top of when it comes to being a faithful interpreter and handler of God's word. And one is the catchphrase, them, then, before us now. Yeah. Them, then, before us now. What does that mean to you, Matt? And why is that so important? Well, I, I think if I understand where you're, where you're coming from, you're getting at the distinction that I describe in, in, in the book as scripture is written uh, was not written to us, but it's written for us. Yeah, chapter four, written for us, but not to us. Yes. So, and that distinction is simply trying to get at the reality that there was an original human audience to these documents in Scripture. You know that when when Moses was writing the first five books of of of, of the Old Testament, they were addressing Israelites right in the wilderness. Experience, having experienced the uh, exodus from Egypt. And so uh, it is framed in light of that. Well, I'm not an Israelite. You're not an Israelite. We're not in the wilderness right now, um, you know, having just come out of Egypt as slaves. And that extends to, you know, you jump forward in the story into the prophets, you know, you're reading Jeremiah and he's writing, addressing people who are living in exile in Babylon. Yep. Well, I'm not living in exile in Babylon, so it wasn't written to me, but each of those texts, each of those parts of scripture are absolutely written for me. And and I think that comes out most clearly in some of the things that Paul says in in a couple of his letters. So I go back to uh, a couple of key texts where, where Paul really tries to get at this. And so Romans 15, 4 is one of those key texts where Paul writes, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Yeah. So Paul's pointing back to, you know, he's talking to to a largely, probably a largely Gentile audience even, and saying, those Old Testament scriptures, those are written for for you. They're, they were written to instruct you, right. to produce hope in you. And that's true for us as believers 
today. I'm not a Philippian. I'm not a first century Jew uh, right. on the on the streets of Jerusalem listening to Jesus teach, but I am a I am a I am a follower of Jesus. Right. And God wrote the Bible for me, even if it wasn't directly addressed to me. So what happens, Matt, if we skip over that and we just we just forget that this is there is there some potential consequences that we want to steer clear from if we forget that there's an original audience and a real and a real people? Um Yeah, absolutely. Uh this in particular it can show up in when reading the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament as well, um, you know, we have to be careful when God gives a direct set of commands or instructions to the Israelites, um, they were under a particular covenant with mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. Well, we're not under that same covenant. Yeah, We're under the new covenant that has its own set of, of, of expectations and, and, and regulations, so to speak. But um, if I just try to draw a straight line of application from God told the Israelites to do this, to offer this sacrifice, and then I try to do that, I'm actually out of step with what the heart of what God is trying to accomplish in my life through that text today. Right. And again, you're talking about the importance of storyline of scripture as well. Yes, absolutely. Like seeing where that is. Um, yeah, like I I have a classic example that I always go with with this one where it's like Mary and Martha. And for those of you who are listening who aren't familiar with Mary and Martha, um, they were close friends of Jesus and and Jesus shows up at their house and Martha is busy in the kitchen because she wants to honor Jesus as a respected teacher. Um, and and Martha's just sitting and listening to him. And I'm sorry, Mary's just sitting at his feet listening to what he has to say. And Martha's like, Mary, what are you doing? Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm slaving over here and you're supposed to be helping me and you're not. Well, from an American mindset, or from a, if I just forget that it was written to them first and in their specific context, I just go, what's the big deal? Like, just grab some food and throw it together. And, and, uh, and is, is it really that big a deal? Well, I jumped over, you know, in, in the ancient world, they didn't have technology to just throw stuff together. See, I'm looking at it through an American 2021 lens and imposing yeah. that on the text as opposed to going, and I know this is steering a little, a little, it's not exactly what you're getting at with the them then before us now, um, but, or the to them, you know, first and then us second. But I think there's this mindset of we just have to remember this was written to a certain people in context with a whole different set of assumptions and ways of living. Um, they didn't have technology. Hospitality might mean something totally different to them than it does to us. Yeah. Um, honoring a Jewish teacher uh, in your home might be a bigger deal than it would be to us. And so just like not imposing an American mindset on the text as a, and instead just receiving from the text as best we can what we know about those people then first. Is, am I saying that well, Matt? Yeah, I think so. And that, that again is often where we probably have to lean on resources mm-hmm. uh, a little bit more than in other areas to help us understand uh, what life was like in the ancient world. And not just in terms of specific customs, like you're saying, but uh, as well as 
as you were indicating, even just values and what what was important versus what what wasn't. Um, you know, honor and shame. The honor and shame dynamic is a huge part of the ancient context that um, isn't as necessarily as powerful a dynamic in our American context. That's right. But it sure is in certain Asian cultures. Yeah, it's or Middle East, prominent. Middle Eastern as well. Yep. Yes. So e- even it, it varies by our own individual backgrounds that we have to do a little bit of uh, of work sometimes to make sure we understand. You know why? Why is this a big deal? You know, one example that comes to mind is in Luke seven, uh, the story of Simon the Pharisee who invites Jesus to his home for dinner. Right. And and this this sinful woman comes in and she starts uh, washing Jesus' feet, and as part of Jesus' rebuke to Simon the Pharisee, he's like, "I came in here. You didn't offer me a kiss. You didn't right. wash my feet. You didn't right. do the basic." cultural norms of hospitality right so that told me right up front of what your opinion was of me yeah yeah that's those examples are so helpful and once you start to dig into that stuff man the bible really starts to come alive it gets really fun and it's just so much more interesting when you can try to become a student of the world of the bible i've really appreciated having to having to do that for my preaching and just individual Bible study. Um, yeah, there is, there is, uh, such a blessing in that, you know, it's without question. I think about this oftentimes when I'm preparing to preach, but I really commend it. I'd love to hear what you think about it. Um, super simple. Like if I'm preaching Matthew, I try to imagine there's an original audience of people that heard this for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, I may have read this a hundred times, but can I place myself imaginatively in the seat of someone, an ancient Jewish person, maybe if it's the book of Matthew, um, or maybe Philippians, I'm I'm a a new believer sitting in a a new church plant in Philippi, and I'm hearing this for the first time. Mm -hmm. Just imagine myself there. That's the original audience. And so what does that mean for application? Um, it might not mean what I think it means if I'm coming at it from a Madisonian, uh, 2021 mindset, and it just helps give some boundaries. Do you think that's a good way to think about it, Matt? Yeah, I do. I think that in, in a well-meaning attempt to, uh, to make the Bible seem relevant, that too often we rush past the the foreignness or the distance yeah. from the biblical text. It's and too oftentimes hard. Yeah. it's in the distance that that we're confronted with truth and the reality of wait a minute, that's not what I would have expected. Or right. that runs counter to what my natural intuition would be. So sometimes in our immediate rush to try to get to our perception of relevance we actually miss out on the more profound reality that comes from recognizing our distance from the text. And once we recognize that distance, then I think we're well positioned to say, okay, so there is a big difference there between the world of scripture and my current context. So what's the connection point? Right. And that gets us again, back to these questions of what is it? What, what do I learn about God? What do I learn about people? What do I learn about relating to God? What do I learn about relating to other people? 
And um, it, I think it helps us have a, a richer and more meaningful encounter with scripture if we're not just so quick to eliminate or forget the distance that that is there between us and the biblical text. Yeah, amen. That's really good. And the last thing I want to just bring up, Matt, was just the importance of reading the Bible in context. I heard uh, a, a, a teacher um, say one time, you know, never read a single Bible verse. You know, and I mean, I was I was raised in the Navigators uh, in college, you know, I was discipled by the navigators, not raised by the navigators in college where, you know, scripture memory is a really big deal. And I love scripture memory to this day. And we, we would memorize single Bible verses. Um, and that, I think that has some value and there's some things we could say about that, but that's probably for a different podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, love scripture memory, but I'm persuaded that this teacher is right. I'd love to hear what you think about it. Like, and it's maybe overstating to make it's hyperbole to make a point, sure. right? Yeah. But what what do you think? Like, what's 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 he getting at in in terms of what's valuable in never reading a Bible verse? Well, I, I think that what that's trying to reflect is that the meaning of any individual verse is dependent upon all the other verses around it, right? And so, um, you know, understanding any individual verse in light of the paragraph it's in, which is in, which is in a larger chapter, right? Which is in a larger book and even books, uh, books, them books of the Bible themselves can be grouped together as a, as a sort of context as well, that there are these, um, concentric circles of context of understanding any individual verse. And I think that one of the, part of what that what that statement is trying to get at is you are in greater danger of misunderstanding a, a verse if you just isolate it and pull it out and don't read it or memorize it in its larger context. Can you think of some classic examples that would help our people um, see why reading your Bible in context is so important for correct interpretation? Yeah, I mean, I think one one obvious example that comes to mind is uh, Philippians four thirteen. Yes, you know I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Right, and you see, you know, you see athletes slapping that on their sneakers and and, and that sort of thing, and it's like, yeah, man, I can, you know, I can go out and 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 score sixty points this game because I can do it through Christ who strengthens me, and it's like, right. That's not what that verse is about. Right, right, right. <laughs> because it's in the context of Paul saying to the Philippian church, thank you for your generosity towards me in, in helping to meet my needs. But I've learned the secret of being content, whether I have a lot and an abundance, or I have a need and have don't even have as much as I absolutely need to get by. And that's the context in which Paul says, I can do all things through the one who strengthens me. So it's not this sort of universal blanket statement of kind of uh, self-empowerment that you can slap into any context. Right. Yeah, a, a classic one that I've, I've always thought of is um, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. And, um, you know, I want to be careful that like, you know, we don't like shame people or whatever. Um, and there's probably ways that I still do this and, and can take work verses out of context. But it is important to note that that verse is oftentimes heard in the context of prayer. 
yeah. like uh, because we're praying together and there's two or three of us, God is with us. Well, that's a, I think you could support that biblically. Um, maybe that's just the wrong verse because yeah. that verse is found in the context of church discipline in Matthew 18. Right. And so that verse is talking about the authority of the gathered church to discipline mm-hmm. its members. Um, and so, you know, if you read the context, it shows how that verse is intended to be applied and understood. You know, the way I've, I've um, taught this in the past, Matt, is, or I didn't, I didn't come up with this, but like words without context don't really have meaning. For example, like the word bar, what is that? I don't know what that is. You know, like, are we in a ballet studio and there's a bar? Uh, are we, are we at a pub and drinking some beers? Are we uh, a lawyer and having to pass the bar, right? (laughs) Like context makes everything, but you can take it even further with like uh, sentences. Like sometimes a sentence, you don't know what it means. Like if I said the sentence, um, I need to drink. Well, what does that mean? Well, if I'm an alcoholic, it means one thing. Right. If I just finished a marathon, it means something different. (laughs) Right. Yes. And so I, those, those kind of examples really help me to remember, okay, be careful as I'm reading your Bible I just, I just feel like over and over and over again, it's like real estate. What are the three most important things? Location, location, location. I find myself saying to people trying to understand the Bible, the three, at the end of the day, there's a lot to say about hermeneutics, but if you can get down context, 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 you're going to be doing okay. Like, do you think that's true, Matt? I do. I do. And I think that, um, and and this is where, even when I teach, uh, in the more academic context, uh, I, I, I talk about context on sort of three levels. There's the uh, redemptive context. That's the storyline. Where are we at? What, what, what chapter are we in? What season are we in here? Um, you know, literary context. What's in the paragraph before, the paragraph after, the paragraphs before that, et cetera. And then the, uh, the sort of the, the historical, cultural, or social context mm-hmm. of you know, historical events, geography, cultural customs that, uh, that might be foreign to us, but really can help us understand, uh, what's going on in the biblical text that if you have a a solid grasp on context, you are well positioned to properly understand the text itself. Amen. Well, Matt, you've given us, um, a lot to think about and man, this has been such a blessing. Um, I really, really appreciate this conversation because I feel deep down in my bones um, the importance of understanding God's word and being able to interpret it rightly as best of our ability uh, for the sake of our discipleship. And man, you've you've helped us move that ball down the field in this conversation. And I want to just commend your book. Uh, it's called Asking the Right Questions by Matthew S. Harmon, um, published by Crossway. It's a short book. Um so it, it's not, it's, I, I get the impression it's not intended to be super technical. Um, no. It's for everybody. It's, 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 it's a, a level that everybody can read. And um, I mean, I just really, really appreciate it. And I appreciate your time today. Yeah. Let me just uh, point out one quick thing that Crossway was very kind to actually produce a bookmark hmm. that goes with this, that has the four understanding questions on the front 
and the four um, application questions on the back that if you go to the website that uh, the page on Crossways website for this book, you can download it as a PDF and print as many as your heart desires. Cool. And so that's a great little thing to print out and then just sort of stick in your Bible to always have with you to remind you uh, about those specific questions. That is awesome. I appreciate that. And we're going to hand those out uh, at church. I just decided. Uh, <laughs> Sweet. So, um, all right, Matt. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. 